1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
2: Hey, everyone, I'm Stephen Hayden, And I'm Jordan Runtog. Join us as we unveil
0: our new music podcast, Rivals. It's a look back at famous music rivalries of the past.
2: Every week, Jordan and I will explore a new rivalry, delving into all the dirty details about our beloved musical icons who just can't seem to get along with their fellow legends. And then we'll debate each other about who deserves
0: to have the upper hand
3: in these classic conflicts.
2: You'll remember the biggest beast from music history and hopefully become aware of some
3: you didn't know. Join us on Rivals, a new podcast from iHeartRadio debuting on February 26th. Listen and follow on The iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: Hi, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. You might have seen this story in the news lately. During one of her recent concerts, Cardi B's ex interrupted the whole thing to beg her to come back to him. They had recently split over allegations that he was cheating on Cardi B. And he had this card of roses that spelled out, take me back, Cardi. It was a whole thing. She did not look impressed. Some news outlets do speculate that it was a big PR stunt, But Cardi insists she was surprised by his appearance. And as of recording this, I haven't heard anything differently. In either case, though, this is something I have seen before, and I have experienced myself, not the sold-out concert thing, but a woman working and a man publicly interrupting to demand your attention, to emotionally manipulate you. There was a, a guy once who wanted to date me, and he showed up at my office with flowers, with no warning, and he expected that I, I would think this was a very romantic thing. But instead, I was very annoyed. And I had to take time out of my day. I had to let him down easy. And then I had to explain to my coworkers who were expecting this sweet story, uh, what had gone down. And they clearly were like, oh, no, it's so sweet. You should give him a chance. And this is why I do not want a surprise public engagement. Not that I ever plan on getting married, but I have thought about this. There's a time and a place for an apology, and it's not sprung on someone in public while they're working. One fan of Cardi B's wrote on Twitter, Tonight should have been about Cardi headlining the Rolling Loud festival. Instead, it's all about what this dude did and how she reacted. No convos about her performance. In fact, it's stealing thunder even from other performers tonight. That's selfish AF. That's manipulation. Another wrote... This public campaign is actually classic harassment. Women are always expected to do the emotional labor of men no matter how badly they are betrayed or hurt. It also kind of reminds me of that Jason Derulo song, What You Say, which is, yeah, a throwback. But he's like, look, I know I should have treated you better. I shouldn't have cheated on you. But we belong together, so sorry you caught me. But let's just move past this already. Come on. And I I don't know. That's my interpretation of the song. Perhaps you have a different interpretation. (laughs) As we discussed in our stalking episode, I think a lot of movies have pushed this narrative that something like this is romantic. It's not. Worth noting, Cardi B has asked for people to stop bashing Offset. But I would say that the whole incident is a wonderful example of men not handling women's sexual rejection in the best way. And in this classic episode, we take a look at why that might be. Please enjoy. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com Hello and
3: welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Carolyn. And today we're going to talk about men. We're going to talk about rejection and we're going to talk about how online dating offers documentary proof. The guys,
2: fellas, dudes, you have a hard
3: time getting turned down sometimes. Heck yeah. The
2: internet is sort of a scary landscape. It
3: is. And should we go ahead and, and offer a disclaimer that yes, some women have a hard time with rejection sometimes as well, mm-hmm. and overreact yeah. to getting turned down, especially if you're being sexually turned down. Well, rejection
2: is hard. Rejection, rejection is, hard. is the worst. Rejecting is pretty bad, too, but I I mean, it can rejection of any kind can really sting. And and that is not a gendered thing. It's a fact of life. Rejection is the worst and we hate it. We all struggle with it. But there are some things that put certain people at risk of being a bigger jerk than other people when it comes to rejection.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is a particular pattern when it comes to straight dating and especially straight online dating although it is more of a thing of, of straight guys dating I should say because the recipient of the the offer whether it's to you know have a drink bot or a date or sex or whatever, um, she can be of any orientation <laughs> whatsoever. It's really more you know straight guys processing, being turned down and what got us thinking about this whole thing was an incident that happened on the
2: internet in late August yeah I was actually on vacation when this happened and I just remember seeing um, my internet my personal internet uh, blowing up over it so BuzzFeed writer and comedian Grace Spellman Got a series of tweets and Facebook messages from this guy Ben Shane, who is a former Harry Potter podcast host and who's also the co-founder of the website Fem Inspire. He was clearly trying to charm Miss Spellman, and uh, he—I guess it's an understatement to say that he didn't really charm her. Yeah, the whole incident was kind of bizarre because they had
3: friended each other on Facebook nine years ago when Shane was hosting this podcast called Muggle cast, which was super popular. Um, and Spellman was a fan. So they became friends on Facebook, but they were weren't in contact whatsoever. So this time in August was the first time he was messaging her ever. So totally out of the blue. And at first he was full of praise mm-hmm. so in one Facebook message he sent her he said you do a remarkable job of making your quirky personality shine through online it's hyperactively beautiful and to to this Spellman says thanks no thanks I've got a boyfriend wish you well mm-hmm. Turned him down politely well
2: he was not too happy about that no no, that would be also another understatement. He responded with a slew of of not so nice messages, uh, including just because you work at BuzzFeed doesn't mean you're good good luck finding meaning in all of that garbage you call content. And he also, I mean, he got more personal than that, and he just wouldn't stop. He was contacting her on all sorts of platforms just to tell her that she was the worst, basically.
3: Yeah, I mean, because it really exploded when she publicized the private, incessant private messaging that he had been doing, and then, of course, that only fanned his his outrage and at one point he wrote her an email saying i was so angry and offended i wrote a 1500 word draft putting you in your place but then he decided against it and wrote her this email instead but what was interesting to see was this white knight turn that it took uh, when he issued a press statement touting his Feminspire cred, saying, I've done more for the cause of advancing women's rights than any of the people who are criticizing me. Um, Because this is after Grace Spellman publicized this incident to her large Twitter following, and people kind of came out of the woodwork saying either, what a creep, but also, this has happened to me before, and also, yeah, this is why he, you know, I left Feminspire, or why he is not on our podcast anymore, yeah, et cetera.
2: It it does seem to be fair that Ben Shane has some personal issues going on that have led him to separate from other people in his professional Life And that perhaps that behavior is why he's no longer with the certain ventures that he had been with before and what possibly led him to be like incredibly creepy with uh, Grace Spellman. But that about face going from you are brilliant and hyperactively
3: beautiful and charming to you're no good at all. All of your work is garbage. I mean, that kind of about face is something that we see happen so often anecdotally, but now documented (laughs) via Online dating. And this whole incident prompted Jessica Roy over at The Cut to relate this to the broader pattern of straight guys in particular. Fellas, we love you. But straight guys not wanting to take no for an answer. She writes, the whole exchange is pretty emblematic of the inherent difficulties of rejecting men, both online and off. Women are frequently made to toe a line between being polite enough not to set off a suitor, but not so polite that their manners are interpreted as flirting. And when I read that, I could immediately relate to what she was saying. It Totally resonated.
2: Yeah, and it resonated with Spellman. She agreed. She says you can't win in these types of situations. Even if you're polite in your rejection, they'll demand that you tell them why you did it. It's just a mixture of entitlement and the fragility of ego, which, by the way, as we will get into in a little bit, is backed up by research. Spellman speaks the truth. She goes on to say, because you don't know how they're going to handle it, you don't know if you should be afraid or not. So the result is this Catch-22 that comes up Often
3: of guys asking for women to be straightforward and honest with them, which is totally fair. That is a very reasonable request. Yes. Who wants to be let on? Answer nobody unless you are just a sucker for pain. But if she is in fact straightforward, you can then be punished for being too straightforward. Then you're a jerk or a word that we, you know, can't really say on the podcast. Um, and We should acknowledge, yeah, I mean, some women do lead guys on. Some women do put men in holding patterns of, you know, wanting their companionship, but not wanting to take it to a relationship level of sort of like, I'm going to, you know, float on you for a little bit until I find a guy that I do want to date. That does happen. And that's not an okay pattern either. Um, but when I made a YouTube video about this whole thing, the comments were, split between guys saying, you know, just be straightforward, be honest, and girls saying, when I was honest and straightforward, I got so much blowback from it. And sprinkled in that too, a lot of anecdotes from girls dealing with guys not taking no for an answer in the sense of if you say you're just not interested, that's really not sufficient. They want to know why. They want an explanation. And typically, the the only explanations that shut it down completely are, I have a boyfriend, or you hold up your hand to show off an engagement ring or a wedding band. And that will usually get them to stop, which is interesting how the, the primary way to get a guy to take no for an answer is not for you to say no, but rather for you to present
2: another man next to you, either Mm -hmm. literally or figuratively. Well, it seems that that's the only way to put a stop to a sense of entitlement to you, right? Access to you. I, um, I had an awkward moment in college when a friend of mine told me that he had feelings for me. And when I responded Compassionate, I mean, he, we'd been friends for years when I responded very, you know, compassionately that like, I understand and I'm really sorry, but I don't feel the same way. Like, I love you as a friend. We've been friends for so long. I just am not on that same romantic wavelength. He got very upset. I got very upset. We talked and we, I thought, made up. But then when he offered to like take me out to dinner for tacos to let things blow over, I was like, oh, good. Like Things are back on track. It was actually a ruse because he had taken me out for tacos uh, to demand an explanation of why I would not date him, saying that everything we do when we hang out together is the same thing that couples would do or that a girlfriend and a boyfriend would do. So why can't you just be my girlfriend? And it made me really sad because it made me realize that he must be feeling really uh, powerless in our friendship if he's telling me that I need to change the way that I feel and change what I'm doing to come over to his viewpoint of things. The old taco ruse, Caroline. It's a taco ruse.
3: And the thing is, so many of us have stories like that of having to... Deal with what happens when, when someone catches feelings. But this whole conversation, especially when we look at it in the context of online dating and more of the hookup culture side of things, it's not so much catching feelings. It's more wanting to catch bodies. And if you cannot catch that body, then you will send a series of very mean text messages or okay, Cupid messages that completely, you know, turn your attraction on a dime. And suddenly this, woman is just the worst thing ever yeah it's
2: so weird to look at these messages because there are plenty of blogs and things like that that now post them uh for all to see and it's so weird to see like hey you're so hot i want to date you i'm being very euphemistic with what i say um and the minute the woman's like no thanks so she doesn't respond the guy goes immediately to, well, you're ugly and fat anyway, and I don't want to date you and nobody else wants to date you, quote unquote, date you. So just never contact me again. And it's like, whoa, were you just having a completely different conversation than I was? <laughs> Wait, I thought women were the crazy ones, Caroline.
3: <laughs> what happened? Yeah, the fact that the Daily Dot uh, published guidelines for dudes getting rejected on Tinder that included, quote, once someone makes it clear they're not interested in talking to you, stop talking to them. <laughs> Kind of points out that this is something that happens. Now, I'm, I'm sure that your patients, if you are a straight dude in these kinds of online dating scenarios, can wear very thin mm-hmm. because it is more of a woman's game, a straight woman's game with online dating because of the whole narratives, the broader social narratives of men as the pursuers, women as the recipients mm-hmm. of a gentleman's attention um, and a lot of times guys do have to deal with a lot of rejection which we're going to talk about more in just a minute um, but as Alexandra Tweeten's by Philippe Instagram account illustrates repeatedly the reactions to this online dating rejection
2: are so severe so many times yeah. And I mean, yeah, that might come out of a place of anger or online anonymity, making it easier to be like, well, screw you, lady. But that doesn't make it any less horrifying. Uh, tweet and writing in Ms. Magazine says that since creating by Philippe, which, of course, is a takeoff of by Felicia from Friday, uh, it has become apparent that a standard trajectory of discourse with men online is this man hits on woman. Woman rejects or ignores him. Man lashes out with insults or even threats. Now, we should say that this Instagram account is one of those social media accounts that displays in full glory uh, the interactions online between men and women on dating sites, Tinder, OKCupid, okay what what have you, um, basically showing screen grabs of these text or email conversations that more often than not are completely 1000% gross. Yeah, they don't they don't end well. They, they don't end well at all. There was even one where a guy was sending messages to a girl young enough to be his daughter. And she was like, hey, I am 14. You have to leave me alone. Granted, sub question. What side is she on that? She's 14. Anyway, uh, he was like, oh, well, my bad. Like, No disrespect. Have a nice day. He immediately comes back and it's like, well, you're going to be fat when you grow up anyway. So just, yeah, like, what? What? Why do you need to do that? I don't know what's power wrong grab. with people. It's a power grab. Um
3: Yeah, Tweeten it- writes that She started it to, one, commiserate with other women who are dealing with this so commonly. Two, to show guys what it's like to be a woman online. We have talked a lot on the podcast before about online harassment targeted at women. And three, to, quote, expose the problematic entitlement some men feel they need to exert over women in general. And she did also note in an interview with BuzzFeed that, yeah, online dating is often wretched for guys because they do have to often message a lot of women. You got got to swipe a lot to get a match. And even if you do get a match,
2: it doesn't guarantee that that attraction is going to be sustained. Well, I mean, I I think... I think it's wretched for for everyone involved exactly because there's plenty of anecdotes about guys setting up accounts pretending to be women and men. There was one guy interviewed in one of these articles we read where he was like I set up five women and five men as fake accounts and before I could even log back off. The women had already received hundreds of messages, many of them gross, many of them going straight to sex and like freaky, scary stuff at that. And like most of the men had just received absolutely nothing. And so he's like, I can see how it's demoralizing for everyone involved, because he's like some guy might have just emailed one of these women to say hi. And if I responded as the woman being like, hey, what's up, where do you live or whatever? Uh, it immediately was like. Super sexual, super, here's what I'm gonna do to you. And so yeah, it 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 immediately went to like, I wanna come over and read Judith Butler together and drink some tea. <laughs> yeah, and do you have cats? Yeah. <laughs> the more the merrier. Let's put on our stretchy pants and let's read poetry.
3: I mean, ironically though, this is a little bit of a tangent, but ironically, Tinder, like the people who run Tinder. Had a by Philippe level meltdown in response to this Vanity Fair piece that came out a couple months ago on Tinder hookups, this whole mm-hmm. Tinder hookup culture by Nancy Joe Sales, who did not paint tinder usage i should say in the most positive light it was it made a lot of guys who use it come off very smarmy and it was a you know one of those bigger pieces about oh what are we doing with this hookup culture it's ruining (laughs) everything and women are just being dragged along in the mud essentially and in response though to this very buzzed about vanity fair piece tinder spouted out 30 tweets in quick succession, including one that said, quote, if you want to try to tear us down with one-sided journalism, well, that's your prerogative, which is sort of reminiscent of the kinds of Bi-Philippe style post-rejection messages mm-hmm. that women get. I mean, and and folks, if you haven't seen this, I do recommend you Google it because well, it's incredible to watch this this Tinder Bi-Philippe meltdown happening on the internet. It almost felt unreal.
2: Well, okay. Then maybe you can explain. There have been plenty of things online, uh, or in the media about how like, you know, apps like Tinder signify the end of times that basically like no one's ever going to fall in love and have families again because Tinder is ruining life for everyone. What was it about Nancy Joe's sales? Do you know that that caused Tinder to get so upset? I, I say Tinder like it's a person, but the Tinder Twitter person to get so upset because she painted because
3: Tinder was positioned in her piece as instigating a post-dating apocalypse, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, talks a lot about how these guys that she interviewed in her story manipulate Tinder to basically get as much sex as they want and treat women in real life very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. And it's just that insta-sex hookup culture that is even more troubling, it seems like, to sales than the analog hookup culture, where, I mean, at least you're meeting at a party. And one of the things Tinder, or at least this person tweeting (laughs) on behalf of Tinder, was most upset about was how sales did not interview anyone with Tinder for the piece, Mm -hmm. to which Nancy Joe Sales on Twitter got the last word in this whole... Tinder Twitter meltdown saying, haha, this piece wasn't even about Tinder at all. Boom.
2: <laughs> so you're saying that, um, Miss Vanity Fair hurt Mr. Tinder's feelings and that Mr. Tinder just lashed out and was like, Miss Vanity Fair, you can go. You weren't my type anyway. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really, it really was like that. And listeners, we will be posting a link to that Vanity Fair piece over at stuff. I'm never told you.com on the podcast post for this. So if you haven't read it, I highly recommend you go check it out. If you are familiar with it um, and want us to do a podcast, look at it, just let us know because it. I mean, it, there's a lot to talk about in there.
2: I love these weird personified, anthropomorphized
3: versions of websites of dating ads. Yeah, because I feel like Tinder, who's obviously the hipper millennial on a smartphone tweeting things or has eHarmony's at home on just on like a rotary telephone <laughs> calling you up,
2: wondering why you're not answering. Oh, we're going to get so many letters from eHarmony users. <laughs> And, and this is all it's all funny to joke about you know if you if you can't laugh you'll cry, that kind of thing. But there is a a darker, more serious side to all of this because it's not as if this behavior and this language and these reactions are limited to the internet, to the online world. This is very real stuff, this this aggression, this masculinity threat all of this is very real and the website, when women refuse over on tumblr highlights that yeah i mean
3: this tumblr is essentially a a collection of stories and graphic images trigger warning of women who have endured domestic abuse from either partners or strangers you know especially in context of Rejecting them in one way or another. And, and it really does get to that quote problematic entitlement that Tweedon says helped inspire by Philippe. I mean, and, and two, that kind of darker, darker, darker entitlement was also echoed in the manifesto written by Elliot Roger, who murdered women partially because he was so angry that he could not sleep with them. He did not have access to them in the way he felt like he should.
2: Yeah. He felt that women should be afraid of him or that women should be afraid of men and should be submissive to them completely. And obviously that is a worst case scenario kind of example,
3: but ultimately it is all connected because there are these common threads that run through that. And we're going to talk about those threads and the academic research that's been done on them when we come right back from a quick break.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone.
0: The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime.
3: Just Instagram accounts and anecdotes from our dating lives to base this whole conversation on. There has actually been a ton of research on romantic and sexual rejection and how that often is processed through gendered lenses, as as most things are eventually process through.
2: Yeah, there was this 2013 study called The Prevalence and Nature of Unrequited Love. And it pointed out that unrequited love and crushing on people was four times more frequent than, quote unquote, equal love, that deep, actual, real relationship where two people know that they're in a relationship with each other and love each other. Um, Researchers said that unrequited love was not a good simulation of true romantic love, but an inferior approximation of that ideal, and that it's more common among people with an anxious or ambivalent attachment style. And this is to establish the
3: fact that rejection is gonna happen. I mean, this is more the rule than the exception. Love and relationships are the exception. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, how would we really get on with our lives if we didn't have rejection
2: happening all the time? Yeah. But in calling it not a good simulation of true romantic love, they're sort of explaining the fact that it's so much more common than that equal love, and it can be so much more intense. It can stir up all of these feelings of inferiority and anxiety. And so I think that it's absolutely important to talk about that in relation to online dating where so much rejection happens. Yeah, and these similar kinds of studies have found that men do
3: tend to experience romantic rejection more often than women, quite possibly because, again, of this heteronormative role, social role as the pursuer. Men are more expected to put themselves in positions where they could be rejected compared to women. But the thing is, while rejection is no fun, getting rejected is no fun, of course, Studies have also shown that it's also painful to do the rejecting. And this goes back to a 1993 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology that looked at both sides of unrequited love, of the person who was having to process receiving it and the the person who's doling it out. And the authors wrote that rejectors depicted themselves as morally innocent, but still felt guilty about hurting someone. But they also depicted the would-be lover's persistent efforts as intrusive and annoying. And in an article about this in the New York Times, one of the study authors, uh, Roy Baumeister, described this experience of doing the romantic rejection as agony.
2: Yeah. And also that if you're looking at rejecting versus being rejected, that it's actually the people doing the rejecting who remember that incident more than the people who were rejected. I mean, obviously, that depends and and other factors go into that. But it seems like that strange experience of having to that strange and painful experience of having to tell someone who's being very persistent that you're no, I'm not interested. It really kind of sticks with you. And so it's interesting to read about how people on either side of this experience Process it differently in order to sort of justify their own behavior. And there's also, too, this issue of
3: rejectors, especially if there's an established relationship between two people. This is probably happening more in real life versus online dating. Um, but rejectors being expected to not only do the rejecting, but also comfort mm-hmm. the other person's wounded pride. But speaking of online dating, though that can explain this common demand for an explanation. I mean, because that is a source of comfort. That's their closure. Tell me why I'm not good enough. The old taco
2: ruse. The taco ruse, Caroline. Baumeister also found that men are more likely than women to fall in love with someone who does not return their feelings. And that's also another, like, real life as opposed to online thing. Um, and echoing that is Philip Shaver at the University of California, Davis, who said that the people who are particularly prone to falling in love with people who will reject them are people who are so anxious about being loved that they drive their partners away through being too clingy. That anxious attachment, it's that anxious attachment that the person who's doing the attaching sees as normal and just love me. I just want to be loved. And the rejector feels like, God, you're being a creep. I've been that person. I've been that creep before, Caroline. I will own that. And that creep, though,
3: issue is something that we could do an entire podcast on because I feel like, especially in today's um, dating landscape, It seems like, and also from what I've heard from guys directly, that being rejected also comes sometimes with this underlying panic of, of, yeah, okay, I'm not going to be able to, you know, ever get with that person, but also, oh my God, does she think I'm a creep? Being labeled as a creep, I feel like is so, so, so triggering, you know, of anxiety and panic for, for dudes, because that's almost the worst thing that you
2: can be called. Well, yeah, and it's also the the frustration and fear of being misunderstood. Like, no, 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 I was just trying to compliment you and ask you out and and be nice and kind. And, and I just, you know, you're beautiful and uh, but I don't want to be considered a creep. I'm not a creep. I'm just, I just like you. So we already have this complicated stew on the stove.
3: But then when you add a dash of this thing called masculinity threat you have an emotional powder keg really waiting to happen. So masculinity threat is a sociological term referring to some men's expectations of how they should fulfill hegemonic masculine roles. So masculinity threat is a sociological term referring to when a guy feels like his Idea of what masculinity is and his role in that is being challenged in some kind of way. His masculinity being threatened, I guess you could say.
2: Yeah, so that idea of I'm the breadwinner. I'm strong. I must be strong and stoic for my woman. And of course, I have to and am entitled to have access to women's bodies sexually. So what happens when masculinity is threatened? Well, you tend to get overcompensation which is not that surprising um, there was a 2015 study in social psychology that found that when men's masculinity is threatened they go overboard in distancing themselves from femininity or feminine attributes or women and end up amping up the masculinity, the broishness. The study authors write, additionally threatened men claimed more stereotypically masculine attributes such as height, number of past sexual relationships and aggressiveness, which is interesting because your height is just your height. And When these men's masculinity was threatened or when they felt threatened, they said that they were taller than they actually were. And so masculinity is this sort of social power. And when that power is endangered, men who are threatened will react oftentimes in an aggressive manner. Now, all of that, too, though,
3: is predicated on how closely a man identifies with Hegemonic masculine roles. Mm -hmm. Because there are plenty of guys who, where this masculinity threat is not going to be as big of a deal for them because they don't see their role in this, you know, kind of hegemonic box right there. Um, But for the many, many men out there who do, this is a very real thing. And, And studies have also found that provoking masculinity threat also diminishes. Men's perceptions of sexual assault and violence as well. So, again, we start to see these common threads uh, along the spectrum of just, you know, feelings getting hurt.
2: That's totally understandable to violent outrage. Yeah, well, there was also a 2013 study in the American Journal of Sociology that found that the more testosterone a man had, the more overcompensating behaviors he exhibited when told that his survey answers indicated femininity in this particular study. Uh, when men had less testosterone, they didn't really exhibit any real overcompensation behavior to speak of but key to that threat is that men with more testosterone aren't necessarily walking around being macho and aggressive 100% of the time 24 hours a day it was it was the threat it was the telling hey you your your survey answers when we asked about attributes of your life and behavior they they really indicated femininity no bro and that's when the guys with a lot more testosterone than the other men went into those overcompensating behaviors. You're like, why would you tell that to a six-foot-five
3: man? Impossible. And this can also happen with women in terms of femininity threat, where uh, if you identify with those feminine roles and you feel like that is being threatened, which would be people thinking that you are too strong or aggressive, then you might minimize yourself or your role in some kind of way to
2: compensate. Which equally is not all women. Right. Um, It's just a particular subset of women who would react negatively to being told that they're too strong or too masculine. So where, though, is all of this coming from if we're talking
3: about masculinity threat? um, So Michael Kimmel wrote a whole book about this. Um, and he has built a whole career actually on, on studying masculinity. Um, and in his book, Angry White Men, Masculinity at the End of an Era, he refers to the erosion of white male privilege, particularly in the U.S., as a, quote, aggrieved entitlement. Basically, of guys today not benefiting as much from the privileges bestowed to, say, their dads or their granddads.
2: Yeah. And in the same article that was looking at Michael Kimmel's research, uh, sociologists Tristan Bridges and Tara Lee Tober said that men are likely to turn to violence when they perceive themselves to be otherwise unable to stake a claim to a masculine gender identity. And of course, this article is very specifically talking about gun violence in the United States as it relates to masculine aggression. But it does seem to relate back to the aggressive responses that can happen when rejection happens online or in dating scenarios.
3: Right, because again, this does seem to echo common demands for those explanations as to why a girl doesn't want to talk to, go on a date with, sleep with, etc. them. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, some guys are just jerks, just like some women are just jerks. But there does seem to be something to the relationship between masculinity threat and this pattern of rejection and how we all process rejection, and also how that relates to to this heteronormative dating dynamic that has really not kept up with gender progression.
2: Yeah, and which does no one any good. Exactly. It does. Well, I mean, I say that, but of course, the people who benefit from being on the top of the heap, of course they benefit from that. But for, I mean... I would argue that most people would be better served if we weren't desperately clinging with our fingernails sunk in to these ideas that men have to be a certain way and women have to be a certain way and that men deserve X, Y, Z and women need and should give X, Y, Z in response.
3: Yeah. And it just seems like there is something fundamentally broken too with this structure that we've built up in terms of. Straight, you know, attraction, sex, and pursuit. Because as far as I know, we don't see similar patterns. I mean, of course, there are incidents, but similar patterns happening with LGBT dating. There's not the Bi Philippe grinder version, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it just seems to be so, so particular to how men and women get together that just gets my brain turning about what it really means. Because clearly this is not just about Tinder or online dating. This is a bigger thing about how men and rem- men and women relate to each other,
2: I think. Yeah, and the idea that still that persists, that people don't believe that no means no. And in pop culture,
3: too, we have loved stories of the underdog guy who finally gets his reward at some point for, you know, hanging in there with the girl who's dating the, you know, the rich guy who's more handsome. But ultimately, he'll win her or just wearing a woman down, mm-hmm.
2: which it really only feeds into this dysfunction. Well, one researcher quoted, was it in The New York Times article about this? pointed to all those movies and said, like, listen, statistically speaking and scientifically, people date and have relationships with people who are of equivalent attractiveness and life status. And so that's kind of where you get this idea of the nice guys of OK Cupid, for instance, who uh, voice their entitlement to like a, you know, like a Giselle, like a frickin Cindy Crawford on... OK, Cupid, that they just deserve to have this woman pay attention to them. And so why won't you answer me as to why you won't date me? But so how do we change this?
3: How do we go from here? I mean, I don't know that you and I sitting here in a podcast studio are going to do it. What, what is it going to take or, or will this ever change?
2: Well... I'd I'd like to think that one day it might change and that we can all treat each other like human people uh, who have feelings um, and respect each other's decisions. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it, it's if women talking about it isn't going to work. Maybe it's going to take men talking to each other about it.
3: Yeah. I mean, that brings up a quote from Kimmel. And angry white men, uh, he said, American men define their masculinity, not as much in relation to women, but in relation to each other. So, guys, what's it going to take? And also, gay folks, I feel like we have a lot to learn from you. So please, please give us your wisdom.
2: Yeah, because I know we've heard from, for instance, some of our lesbian listeners in response to our Division of Household Labor episode that, yes, there is, sure, there is a division. Somebody might like to mow the lawn. Somebody like, might like to load the dishwasher. Kristen. Um, Guilty as <laughs> charge. Um, but that there's no stereotypical gender role to fall back on. And so I would imagine it's the same in terms of dating with the approach versus the approach e. Um, that there's no real script or schema for who should do the approaching, who should do the rejecting or the accepting. And also, too, in terms of hookups,
3: gay men to take such a more straightforward approach to it as well of sex being sex, do you want it or not done and
2: done as well well sure because when it's a a straight man and a straight woman uh looking for each other on tinder for instance (laughs) mr tinder um you also have to deal with all of the social stuff that says women who just want sex on tinder are gross or that they're you know sluts so you've got all sorts of layers of of social grossness um putting pressure on everyone we got some baggage talk about some relationship baggage (laughs) Well, help
3: us sort through it, folks. We're really curious to hear from women who have experienced this online. Does this issue resonate with you, especially in your online dating experience? And just generally, everyone, what are your thoughts on this? Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at Momstuff Podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now.
0: Okay. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
3: And I've got a letter here, Caroline, from listener Andy who writes, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing an episode on Asian fetishes. This is something I deal with from time to time and it's hard to explain to others why it's an issue or why it's creepy. You guys mentioned in the podcast that having an Asian fetish is similar to merely having a type. This is an argument I hear a lot. The difference between having a fetish and a type comes down to whether you can see the person as an individual or merely as a member of their group. For instance, Kristen said she's only dated white guys. But Kristen, do you immediately hit on every white guy you meet because he's merely white? (laughs) Answer, yes, it's exhausting. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Uh, She says, do you quiz him on his white cultural upbringing? Do you ask him where he buys his silverware? I've been asked where I buy my chopsticks. Everyone has a type. Mine is lanky, pale, nerdy guys, but that doesn't mean I find them interchangeable. Once again, I appreciate you doing an episode on an Asian issue. Since we are the quote model minority, it's sometimes hard to convince people that racism against Asians exists or matters. While it's true that in America, racism against Asians tends to be less violent than racism toward other minorities. That doesn't mean it's not a problem and that it shouldn't be examined. Thanks for
2: making this world a better place. Um, thank you, Andy. That last line just gave me goosebumps. Well, I have a letter here from Elizabeth in response to our Samurai Women episode. And I just want to say, first of all, Elizabeth, thank you. Her email is a six page, uh, essentially really super well written list of corrections. And I wish I could read the whole thing, but I can't. So I want to pull out some points of clarification that Elizabeth makes. So here we go. She says, I posted this on Facebook as well because I felt it was too hugely important to be glossed over, and I was really hoping other fellow listeners would see it and catch that the switch from Shinto religion to more disparaging views of women came from Confucianism and not Buddhism. Both were introduced into Japan at the same time and had long been tied together in China because of the Chinese traditional religion, which really meant that Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism were all simultaneously believed in and worked together in unison to form the belief of the Chinese people. Because of the strong relation and tie to Confucianism, a lot of the misogynistic ideas about how evil women were and whether or not they could obtain enlightenment bled very heavily into Buddhism. It's possible that there may have been some not very accepting ideas about women in general in Buddhism, but at its core, that's not really part of the Buddhist doctrine. She goes on to say historically, the more firm that Confucianism took root in Japan, the less rights women had every negative thing you mentioned in your podcast as a cultural belief about women. Those are all Confucianist beliefs. For the Heian period, women being behind closed doors then was definitely a Confucian thing in part, but Confucianism didn't have as strong of a hold then. Women had relatively a lot of power in the Heian period and a lot of social mobility if they were able to get the means or attract the attention of the right person. And being indoors was kind of more of a luxurious choice for all parts of the aristocracy because, as I mentioned in my Facebook post, it had to do with labor. If you're tanned and go outside a lot, it's because you're poor and you tend to the field so your skin darkens. Men were allowed to darken a little because they had to run the country, so they went out to court. Men were also the administrators for the property of the women in their lives, since at this time period, women were allowed to inherit residences, property, and obtain income in the form of rice. They held title and court positions, but because you didn't literally live in the fields, you had to send someone to go get your rice for you. That was the job of the men, although the most elite of men would still have people to do that for them. If you were of low rank, you'd probably have to go do that for yourself because you'd have no other vassals. Low ranking women wouldn't do this just because it'd be hard. And honestly, they'd have a better life if they tried to become a lady in waiting for some prominent figure. So as a social construct, they would be encouraged to be indoors more often as well. And of course, there, Elizabeth is explaining our discussion about how over certain periods in Japanese history, women were basically, quote unquote, like, not allowed to go outside, that they, it wasn't socially acceptable for women to, like, be out and about. Um, so she's explaining the whole, like, women staying in their rooms thing. She goes on to say, oh, and as a general note about loyalty and stuff, it's been noted through different parts of Asia that women are often believed to be more loyal than men, which is also kind of an odd side effect of Confucianism as well. Confucianism teaches that while you should respect the leaders and people above you for their ultimate decision, if you believe that they're doing wrong, you're allowed to attempt to set them on the correct path. In terms of a leader-vassal type relationship, if your leader's a jerk, you're allowed to quit and find a new allegiance. In China, in practice, I remember from one course that a scholar apparently remarked about the citizens in a town facing the attack from an army. The men ran away while the women valiantly killed themselves. Women were also thought of as more willing and able to kill themselves because of the social pressure put upon them by Confucianism. So because they were subjected to so much and expected to be loyal to the men in their lives, it was easier for them to die for a greater cause, like an incoming enemy, or even in the case of going into battle. Plus, you know, women cheating and all that was highly frowned upon. But because men didn't have to adhere to such loyalties day to day, they would change allegiances easily or would run away. So Elizabeth I'm really sorry I couldn't read your whole email but I do want to thank you for ending it with anyway still love the podcast and thanks for talking about all of these subjects
3: and thanks to all of you who have written into us Mom stuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also find links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to our sources. So you can read all about that Tinder meltdown we can't get enough of. Head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com.
1: For more on this and
3: thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.